This is a tough question. In fact, it's not just a tough question, it is the tough question for philosophers, for theologians, and, and probably for you. Why do bad things happen to good people? That last week, we announced that this is the topic. I was out at the grill getting a burger, and one of the guys serving burgers said, I need an answer to that question. Why? I said, well, years ago, the love of my life died, my wife. It was a terrible disease, and it wasn't short. And it takes a while to get over something like that, you know. But over time, his heart began to heal, and he fell in love again. Asked the woman to marry him. She said yes. And then she got the diagnosis, and she died. What do you say to a guy who's lost two loves of his life? Why do bad things happen to good people? And do we have any answer for that? I'm going to call her Anne. She's a woman who she knows about suffering. Anne's, about seven years ago, she came to Christ in her her mid-40s, so a little later than most people accept Jesus. And she desperately wanted her husband and her three kids to follow her in her faith. Her her husband had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, the kind that nobody lives past three years. He had already lived past three years by the time she became a Christian. But she thought, if I just pray hard enough, if I fast long enough, then God will heal my husband. And he didn't. Now the good news is that he became a Christian and shares her faith. And he's still alive today, seven years later. It's miraculous, but two times a week he's on chemotherapy. Even more difficult was her son. He was early 20s at the time of her conversion. Good man, bad friends. And she thought, if I just pray hard enough and if I fast long enough, then God will draw my son away from those bad friends. And and he didn't. March of 2015, at 24 years of age, he died, and they still don't know how. They still don't know why. It looks like foul play was involved. What do you say to Anne? Now, Anne, her story has a, a bit of a happy ending, but I want to I bring the question to a, a point here using the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of a Pain. If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy, and if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wishes. But the creatures are not happy, therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. That's the problem as clearly as I can state it. And I just want to be honest, I I felt it myself. The first time I ever really dealt with pain, I was 12 years old, my parents got divorced. Again, at age 30, the doctors diagnosed me with Crohn's disease. Now, look, I get it. My pain is nothing compared to Anne's. It's minor compared to our friend at the grill. But here's the thing about pain. And some of you are dealing with this right now. Your pain may not stack up to somebody else's, but does it really need to? Because your pain will always fill the vacuum of your soul left by the loss. So your pain is your own. And the problem of pain is just as big for you as it is for anyone else. And I just want, I want to say to you, if you're asking this question, why do bad things happen to good people? 
Or maybe like Anne, she and her husband, it almost destroyed their marriage when their son died. Because she was casting blame at him, he was casting blame at her, both were casting blame at themselves, and both were casting blame at God. Maybe that's you. You've shaken your fist at God and said, why? Like, I deserve an explanation. And the heavens are silent. I just want you to know, God's okay with that. Like seriously, he's a big boy, he can take it. And you're not alone and you're not a bad person for asking the question. Listen to Psalm chapter 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes of his devices. He boasts about the, the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. So you're not alone. Even the best men and women of the Bible, they had their doubts, they had their struggle, and they had their anger. I don't know how to answer this question. Now, I suppose that if I gave a philosophic answer, even a theological answer, and you're not suffering, I could give a pretty good answer. In fact, one of the best answers that I've ever heard is from Ashley Wooldridge, 2017, March 19th, he preached a sermon on the problem of pain, this very topic. In fact, I thought it was so good, I put it in your notes. So if you're using the mobile app to take notes, and if you're not, you can download the CTV mobile app, and just at the very bottom of the screen, you'll see a button that says, Ashley Sermon on Pain. You can push that button. Not now. <laughs> but I want you to have access to it. And if I were to summarize his whole sermon in 30 seconds, it would be something like this. God's greatest moral virtue is love. God, God prioritizes love more than he prioritizes even righteousness or truth or justice. God is love. Do you know that? And you also know that if God wants you to love him, he has to give you free will. It doesn't matter if God, God is sovereign. He could force you to love him. But in that moment, it would cease to be love because love is freely given. So God is love, and the sovereign God gave you freedom, and as soon as he gives humanity freedom, that opens Pandora's box for potential evil in our world. And that's his message in a nutshell. But here's the problem. If I ask dispassionately, why do bad things happen to good people? If you're not suffering, you can receive an answer. But as soon as the question is personalized, it's a problem to answer. So let's personalize the question, why am I suffering? And some of you are. Have you ever noticed when you buy a new car, suddenly you see that very same car everywhere? When I set out to preach this sermon, suddenly I hear stories everywhere of people suffering, deep, deep suffering. And so I just wanna answer this question, why am I suffering? Honestly? Here's my answer. I don't. I don't know why you're suffering. But I do know that the answers we've given have turned more people atheist than any other issue in Christianity. Here's just one example. A French poet named Baudelaire, he said this about God. If there's a God, he's the devil. Because of all the suffering in the world. Now, can I just parse that apart for just a second? I don't believe Baudelaire. 
Why? Because if you really believe God was a devil, would you call him one in public? I mean, that'd be like walking to prison, looking at the biggest, meanest, nastiest guy and go, you're a jerk. I can predict your imminent future. And it will, you will not last long in there. Why would you ever say those kinds of nasty things about God if you believed God existed? No, Baudelaire does not believe God existed. That's why he's bold enough to speak against him like that. But let me just ask you a question. Does the answer to human suffering, that God just doesn't exist, there really is no God, I'm an atheist, there really is no God, does that really help you in suffering? I mean, think about this. If I suffer and there's a God, and I believe that God is somehow good, I don't understand, I'm really angry, I'm really confused, but there at least, I, I know there's a God. At least I have the potential of good coming from my pain. But suddenly, when you say there is no God, then all the natural disasters, which are not driven by human evil, all the, the genetic defects that lead to cancer and other kinds of diseases, all of the accidents on the freeway, all those things are absolutely meaningless. And your suffering is meaningless. I can't think of a more cruel thing to say to someone who's in pain that there is no God. And I would just beg of you, if you're in pain right now, maybe you're on, watching online because it's too painful even to be around people. I'm just begging you, give God a chance. I know you don't understand the why. Nobody really does. And let me just ask you, if I, could, if I could seriously stand here right now and tell you why, would that bring your wife back? Would that get your job back? Would that bring you health? No, the why question is even if I could answer it, it doesn't alleviate the pain that you're experiencing. In fact, if you were, just, if you were to put this on a chart and look at the question on a chart, why am I suffering? The focus is always in the past. And generally, the emotion it generates is anger. And one of the rules I try to live by in my life is if you ask a question and all the answers are insufficient, maybe the problem is not with the answers. Maybe the problem is with the question itself. So instead of asking for a better answer to why, what if, what if we ask a different question? What, what if I could offer you another question that actually would get you traction in the midst of your suffering? Here's my attempt to do just that. How can I find meaning in suffering? That's a question that Viktor Frankl asked in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl was a psychotherapist. He was also a Jew in the beginning of World War II. He got put into Auschwitz and other concentration camps. And as a doctor of psychiatry, he's observing in the concentration camp. That is a hellish laboratory. But it was an unprecedented opportunity for him to study what works in suffering and what doesn't. What humans do to survive in their suffering and what humans do to die in their suffering. And here's an observation he made. I, I hope that you can grab a hold of this, especially if you're in suffering. What Viktor Frankl observed is that every person who survived Auschwitz found meaning in their suffering. That doesn't make the suffering go away. But in the midst of the concentration camp, some people survived simply for the meaning of being reunited with their family. 
Some survived simply for the meaning of helping a bunkmate who was too weak to walk. Others found meaning in getting out of the camp and being a more resilient, gritty person after the war, and they did. Everyone who survived Auschwitz found meaning in their suffering. How can I find meaning in my suffering? While I was reading his book, Man's Search for Meaning, I, I stumbled across a podcast by a woman named Mary Morrison. She's a CEO entrepreneur. It's only an 11-minute message. It changed my life. Because from a totally secular standpoint, well, here was, the, here, was, here was the topic of her talk. What highly successful people do when bad things happen. I leaned in. And she said three things. Number one, it is what it is. That's what highly successful people do. They just say, it is what it is. I can't change it. I can't bring it back. I can't undo it. It is what it is. But here's the genius of it is what it is. She said, why don't you press pause on your panic for three days? Like schedule your panic three days from now. You get a pink slip, don't panic. There'll be plenty of time to panic. You don't have a job, you'll have all day long. <laughs> schedule your panic for 72 hours later. You get served papers, don't panic. Schedule your panic for 72 hours later. And in those 72 hours, it gives you an opportunity to raise your curiosity and ask this question, what are all the potential goods that could come out of this bad situation? And by the end of 72 hours, you're gonna have a long list and you'll be ready to go to step number two, harvest the good. Make plans. You can't bring all the good out of a bad situation, but you could at least do one, couldn't you? Harvest the good from a bad situation. And number three, discard the rest. I don't know if you have the same habit that I have. When, when I get hurt, there's three steps. Rehearse, nurse, curse. I just rehearsed it in my mind. They did this and they said that and I could have done this and, blah, blah, blah. and then I and, and then I nurse it. Because sometimes, but to be honest, it feels good to be mad. I'm so hurt, I'm so mad. And you just go, mm, let's just nurse that because I'm gonna keep that around. And then we curse. We start blaming other people as long as you're rehearsing, nursing, and cursing. You can never harvest the good from the bad that's in your life. So I'm, I'm, I've got Mary Morrison on one hand and Viktor Frankl on the other. And it helped me interpret Jesus more accurately in a brand new way from a very old passage. In John chapter 9, Jesus is leaving the temple. It's the tail end of his life. And he's, like for, for days, he's been in arguments in the temple, and he has won every theological argument. Personally, I think his disciples said, I, I want to do that. Like, I want, I want to be smart. I want to put people in their place. And so as they're walking out the temple, they see a blind guy. He had been blind from birth. He was 40 years old. And they walked by him, and they said, <laughs> in verse 2, it says, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Say what? What kind of moron asked a question like that? Well, before you judge too quickly, the disciples were living in a culture where if someone was sick, it's because God cursed them for sin. Sick, sin. And don't tell me you haven't done that in the mirror. Why is this happening to me? I'm not worthy. I must have done something wrong. I'm insufficient. See, it's... It's not just an old cultural value. 
The disciples were saying, who sinned, this man or his parents? And you go, how could he sin? If he's born blind, how could he sin in utero? Oh, the rabbis had an explanation that you actually could. Jacob and Esau. Jacob grabbed Esau's heel and pulled. So there he sinned and you tried to kill him in utero. It's a ridiculous statement. And Jesus treats it as ridiculous. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if you're still asking why, that is a terrible statement that Jesus made. Why did he sin? Well, so God could be glorified in his life. Really? So you're telling me that the God of the universe kept a a guy blind for 40 years so he could heal him and everyone would go, well, look at how good God is. That's mean, man. See, Jesus is not answering the why question. He's answering the how question. The how question is how can good be brought out of this? So what Jesus did is he healed the man. He put mud in his eyes and sent him to a pool. He washed, he could see. And everybody in town was forced to make a decision about who Jesus was. Oh, you should have been there. It was awesome. If you, if you chart these two questions together, why am I suffering? That's about the past. It generates anger. But this question, how can I find meaning? That's about the future. You know what it generates? Hope. If you can somehow in your own suffering decide, I'm going to find a hopeful path forward in this, that's when your meaning, your, your suffering becomes meaningful. Viktor Frankl, not me, Viktor Frankl said, the moment you find meaning in your suffering, it ceases to be suffering because it's purposeful. Here's the challenge for us, because it is hard to get to your how. And I would suggest you'll never have the right how without the right who. Can I say that again? You'll never have the right how without the right who. Remember Anne, I talked about her earlier. Here's what happened in the midst of her suffering. She decided that God must have a purpose for her life. There is no way from our perspective that we can see the tapestry that God is weaving in his infinite wisdom. And Anne just said, I'm gonna submit that to him. And right now, today, Anne is in ministry. Using the pain of her past as a platform for healing for other people. I wanna read you part of what she wrote to me in her life story. So why we ran to God instead of away from him is simple, she says. There was no other way, there was no other peace, there's no other joy, there's no other life than the life he gave us to serve him. And when you can find your how, how to find meaning in suffering, suddenly suffering can be as much a gift as it is a hurt. It's never a gift to you, no. It's a gift to the people around you. And you all know, you know this, that the people that you've been most helpful to comes out of your personal pain. And the people who have been most helpful to you have saved you pain that they went through. There's a woman in our church. Her story is all about the who. 
I would probably put her suffering up against anybody in this room, anybody online, anybody on our campuses. And I want you to hear how Christina Ward found her who, who led her to how. In 2004, I lost my husband, Damon, to Vicodin addiction. Uh, I found him dead of an accidental overdose. Needless to say, that rocked my world. It threw me into a lot of sadness, some depression that lasted for a long time. I always grew up believing in God, but didn't really walk the walk with Jesus. It was 2007 when I met Derek, and we hit it right off. Uh, he came from a faith background. We started going to CCV 2007, married in 2008. During that time, our faith in God developed, deepened, tithing, going to CCV groups. We were uh, volunteering in the outdoor grill. We had a good relationship. We were, we were two peas in a pod. He liked to laugh a lot. Uh, we had good times. Then in uh, April 2nd of 2016, I was working at the hospital in the ER, and I was on the critical side, and we got a patch, a call from EMS that they had a motorcycle trauma victim coming in, so he was gonna be my patient because of where I was working. A Couple minutes later, they patched back and said they needed to actually pronounce the victim uh, dead at the scene. A while passed, my charge nurse led me back to a room, and then we had the surprise police officer show up and he's standing there at the door, and I was like, there's a lot of bald tattooed motorcyclists out there. Like, are you sure you, you got the right one? And he just kind of nodded his head. And I just was like, seriously, Lord? I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna do this again? You know, it, it, shock is your biggest thing. Shock's always the first one, anything like that. It's just hard to believe that something like this has happened. We do ask, I guess, why, but you know, I couldn't get really an answer. But it was, I guess, different this time than it was from Damon. God really gave me an immediate peace about it, like, I knew, I knew where Derek was, and I know he just opened his eyes and there was Jesus standing in front of him. I knew he was at peace. I mean, I missed him. There's no, no, no doubt about that. I just had a sense of peace. I, I just, that's all I can, I've tried to put words to it before and I just can't. I can just say that it was just the sense of calm and comfort that, um, I know only the Holy Spirit can give, and that uh, that God was giving me. You know, I lost the love of my life, and uh, but I was going to be okay. 
there's this plan for your life and there are things that happen and it's up to you to decide what you want to do with it. And I can sit over in a corner and wallow and feel sorry for myself, but it is what you do with it. And it, and it is allowing it to help others. That's the good that has to come out of it. I know that just that's that's how God shows his love to us, just that he shows it in those that are around us. That's how he shows that he's there with you. I knew that God was walking with me and that he would never leave me, that he was always there and he would always be there. Did you hear what she said? I knew that God was there, and I knew that he would always be there. The why is a mystery, but the how is in the who. And I think we all need to ask this question. I'm begging you to ask this question. Who can help me through my suffering? Like, If you're not suffering right now, go ahead and ask why. But if you are suffering right now, ask who. Because the who will get you to the how. The oldest book in the Bible is Job, J-O-B. It's a man's name. And it, it tells the story of how God used him really for his own glory. And I, I don't know if you would like the book or not, but it, it opens with a scene in heaven. Job has no clue what's going on. But Satan goes to heaven and, and says, God, that Job guy, jo Job he only, he only glorifies you because you blessed him. If you take away his blessing, he will curse you to your face. And God says, no, he won't. Satan said, yes, he will. No, he won't. No, yes, he will. No, he won't. Yes, he will. So they get in an argument. And Job gets caught in the crossfire. And God allowed Satan to take everything from him. He, he took his family. He took his possessions. He took his farm. He took his position in the community. He even took his health. The only thing Satan left him was his wife. And trust me, that was not a favor. <laughs> this woman comes up to Job while he's suffering and says, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, thank you, honey. For the next 35 chapters, Job's three friends come and accost him with questions. They're all the why questions. Why is God punishing you? What did you do? Why is God so mad? You must have some secret sin in your life. And Job kept saying, no, I don't, I'm innocent. But they were relentless. And Job, like you, like me, he got mad. And he shook his fist at God and said, God, come out, come out wherever you are. Like if you would just give me a five minute conversation face to face, we could talk this out. Be careful what you ask for. Because God said yes. And from chapter 38 through 40, God plows Job with questions. Listen to how it opens. <laughs> this is like, I don't want to hear this. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Boom. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? <laughs> Brace yourself like a man. That's when I wet myself, I'm pretty sure. 
I will question you and you will answer me. And God did question him. Job, are you able to put a single star in the sky? Because I flung galaxies with my fingertips. Job, do you understand what's at the depth of the ocean? Job, are you able to control the wind? Are you able to send rain? Can you calculate the worth of the value of the earth? Can you weigh it? Can you spin it? Can you hold it? Do you understand the animals in their secret layers and their ways in the wilderness? Whew, went on for three chapters. And you might think, God, come on, you're kicking a guy while he's down. If you have kids, you know why God shouted at Job. Because when you're in pain, that's all you can hear. And God needed him, and he needs you to hear the who. I'm not even going to pretend that I understand the questions of the universe. I'm not going to pretend that I can explain why you're suffering. But I do know from Viktor Frankl, from Mary Morrison, that the best thing you can do is to find how to find meaning in the suffering. And if you can do that, and really the only way I know that you can do that is to find the who, the right who will lead you to the right how. And if you graph these questions on a chart, why is about the past, it leads to anger. How is about the future, it leads to hope. But who, that's about now. That's about the present. And it will always lead to love. I think Dostoevsky got it right when he said, I, I don't know the answer to the problem of evil, but I do know love. There's some things that God does that, honestly, they don't look loving to me, and I can't figure it out. But I tell you what I have figured out, that God sent his one and only son, and he suffered right in the midst of us. You cannot look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you just don't understand what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. He does. You just can't know how my body hurts right now. Yeah, he does. You just don't know what it's like to have people misunderstand you. Yeah, he does. Whatever you're going through, it's not an exact equivalent to Jesus, but every category of suffering, he suffered to the ultimate depths. And the power of that is this. If you wanna know love, your who needs to be Jesus Christ. Jesus shared our suffering. He's in it with us. Most famous verse of all the Bible, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And more than that, Jesus didn't just suffer with us. Because of Jesus, our suffering has purpose. The Apostle Paul put it brilliantly in Romans chapter 5. He says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because of Jesus, he suffers with us. Because of Jesus, our suffering has purpose. And because of Jesus, because of Jesus, our suffering won't last. 
Last book of the Bible, Revelation, here's a promise. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Here's my challenge to you. Find the right who and you'll know the right how. I know some of you are suffering desperately and I'm so sorry for that. But I know that the God of the universe loves you and he sent his son to die for you and he's coming back again to put an end to your suffering. I don't want to give any trite answers because it's, it's too important a question to just pretend like we know. We don't. But I know how and I know who. And I want you to, too. If you're suffering right now and you really don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all you have to do, if you're on one of our campuses, all you have to do is walk out the doors of the auditorium, go to the info booth, and they'll connect you with one of the pastors on staff because we want you to know who so you can find your how. And I want to ask that all of us, even if you're watching online, I want to ask that all of us stand to our feet right now and we're going to out loud read a closing prayer. The prayer I'm going to ask you to read with me aloud even at home if you're watching, whatever campus you're on. This prayer is not your prayer to Jesus. This is Jesus' prayer over you. Let's read this together. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will Find rest for your souls. Amen.